0: This week on The Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we're talking about Abraham Lincoln and the press.
1: Now, 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 not five, not four, not, not, not two plus three,
2: the Rail Splitter, axe
1: in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. In to each other, and party on, dude!
0: Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Mary.
1: Hey, Rail Splitters.
2: And Rail Splitter Nick. What's happening to all our loyal fan base out there listening to us on their devices?
0: All right. So uh, this week we're going to chat a little bit about Abraham Lincoln and his relationship with the free press uh, and as it relates to the First Amendment. Uh, We've heard quite a lot in the news about presidents and their relationship with the press, and the current president, uh, his exclusion of a reporter from the White House Press Room, and um, how he's called and referred to the press as the enemy of the people, so we thought it'd be a nice uh, idea to talk about Abraham Lincoln and how he dealt with the press. But first, Course, we talk about recent happenings in Lincoln Land, what's going on with Lincoln. Uh, just a real quick update from my side of things. Uh, this past weekend, I was lucky enough to uh, go to Chickamauga Battlefield for the first time. So I know we did have an episode on it, and Mary has filled everyone in on visiting there, and that definitely played a huge role in my decision to go there. So um, I was visiting a friend in Knoxville, Tennessee, and decided to drive the two hours to Chickamauga. There was actually a race there that weekend that I participated in that was actually kind of a really fun way to experience the battlefield other than having to get up at 4.30 in the morning, which was 3.30 in the morning uh, in the time zone I was used to uh, to drive uh, south a little bit, but it was definitely worth it. And I also took a little side trip to uh, Lookout Mountain, which was absolutely worth it. Um, The extra little four hours of driving after driving 11 hours the day before, um, but you know, how often are you going to get that far south if you're from north central Illinois, uh, and to be able to check out the battlefield, and it was a really well-organized uh, race, and I was happy to, to do it, and it was definitely a unique way uh, to experience the battlefield, um, and it just so happened that um, when it, the race was getting its toughest and its hilliest, and you know, about two-thirds of the way through was when I came up on the Illinois Monuments. So it was a nice way to kind of pull me up a little bit and give me a little bit of extra motivation, which I needed at the time. And uh, so for about a mile, I was kind of going through a couple different uh, spots where I saw some of the Illinois monuments, which was super cool. So, uh, Mary, thank you for playing up Chickamauga. I don't know if I would have gone there had it not been for your ringing endorsement of it as a battlefield and a place to visit. So, um, and I would also echo those recommendations. It was... uh, definitely worth going to especially if you also can combine chattanooga into your uh, visit which would be really hard not to they're super close
1: that's that's uh, awesome and then i love the photo that you sent from lookout Mountain. it looks absolutely beautiful there uh this time of year
0: yeah yeah it was probably the perfect time of year on uh, their their leaves may have may turn a little longer they may have a few more weekends than we did but uh, it was veterans day weekend and um perfect uh as far as the fall and autumn colors go uh so yeah definitely um was able to see some colors and of course from lookout mountain uh it's quite a spectacular view especially with the uh, fall foliage uh to to take in so um i would suggest i didn't spend much time at lookout mountain and you do have to pay seven dollars to get into the actual national park area but that also includes chickamauga and other things but because of the event i was in i didn't have to pay to Go to Chickamauga, but um, yeah, it was it was good. Very cold for that. Um, I shouldn't say very cold. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Yankee, but it's like as cold as it gets down there this past weekend. So it was in the it was in the low 40s, uh, but it gets pretty windy up there. But it was definitely a thousand percent worth the trip. So I recommend it highly to anybody who's looking at going to a, a battlefield.
1: What did you well, think of the drive up Chickamauga Mountain, or not Chickamauga? A look up lookout mountain. It was
0: really really. Um, well, it was it was a beautiful drive. It was a little hectic, uh, and like more than once, um, the pr- people coming the other way weren't paying as great of attention to the center line as I would have hoped. Yeah. And I felt like yeah. I was going to get clipped a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was by myself, so I didn't have the opportunity to look out, look out, uh, to take in the views or anything on the way up. Uh, but I was, you know, I've I've driven in worse, you know, in color like more difficult mountain driving. But I felt like the <laughs> More often I felt like people were a little bit too close to the center line for my comfort. So
1: that's that's what I thought too. And I was with some like I had uh Jar A with me mm-hmm. and he was he was in the passenger seat and he's of course like, Oh, look at the view and I'm like <laughs> I'm trying to pay attention to these curves in the road and like and it gets foggy there sometimes mm-hmm. though. One of the park rangers was telling us I cannot imagine doing that road in the fog.
0: Mm-hmm yeah it's uh, well, I screwed up because I put Lookout Mountain in my GPS and it took me to the the town of Lookout Mountain, which is that not the same to thing. okay uh, so <laughs> then I so I had to do it took a different drive on the way up than I did on the way down so uh, but I still ended up you know at the Lookout mountain battlefield, which
2: is is really really quite well done and and uh, yeah breathtaking. Was your pace more of a Stonewall Jackson? um or a george mcclellan pace uh
0: i was very happy with the results i i missed a pr by uh, 22 seconds which was a little i thought i had it for a while there and then i just i just the last mile i just didn't didn't have it it wasn't there so uh, too much
2: scenery it slowed you down it was a little
0: hilly it was a little hilly uh it's the second best time i've ever had at that distance but uh didn't quite have it in me at the end to, to get that personal best, which is fine because my personal best is five years old now, and I never thought I'd even come close. So to come within 22 seconds was actually um, right where I wanted to be. I was very happy with it. So um, and people were very friendly, friendlier than any race I've ever been in. I've never really had people high five as they were passing her at the end, you know. So it was it was cool. Um, the medal that they gave, they every year at this race. Uh, they give a different medal and they did they take one of the monuments at the battlefield and that's what the the medal is the finisher's medal so uh, this year it, it was honoring the second minnesota which is which is a pretty cool monument so um the medal i got for finishing uh was a um was that monument so uh, which was pretty cool so you can kind of collect them if you run, run if you run that race or for the folks who do run that race regularly they get a different monument every year uh, for finishing, so I thought that was kind of neat. It was cool,
1: awesome.
0: Yep, parking was really good too. It was right on the grassy area there, and yeah, it was uh, it was definitely uh, definitely worth the trip. I was quite tired uh, after that. I went to the Tennessee Kentucky football game, which uh, SEC football is no joke. They take their uh, they take that stuff seriously, and uh, it was definitely uh, definitely a good experience. It Was nice to see Tennessee win that game, uh, and then we went out and experienced Knoxville and did the same the next night. So, uh, it was a, it was a good quick trip over veterans day. So, um, yeah, so check out Chickamauga Battlefield. And if you want to know more about it, we did an episode about it, probably 20 or so episodes ago, um, where Mary kind of talked about the battle itself and visiting it. Um, and then I would definitely echo that endorsement. It's definitely worth a visit. Um, it's often overlooked. I remember as a student when I was in kind of like middle school, kind of really getting into the civil war, not really knowing much or caring much about really the West or the South in general. Um, you, you, you know, i f- I found myself gravitating a lot more toward Gettysburg and Antietam and, um, the two bull runs or Manassas, the Manassai, however you want to say it. Um, and not really paying as much attention as I should have to the West and the South, Um, And really the fact that Gettysburg, or uh, Chickamauga was the second costliest battle in terms of human life, um, super important, not just militarily, but also for the sacrifice that was made um, there at the battlefield. So, um, you know, comparing it to Gettysburg, it's um, much, much different. Um, The size and scale is similar, uh, but the the terrain obviously is much different. um, And it being a different theater of the war, I think makes it quite interesting as well.
1: that's what i thought too and i think too because it um like it took me going there to realize how important of a battle it was um but you know one of the things with back then is that news had to travel a lot it took a lot longer right so of course if you're in the eastern portion of the war the eastern battlefields news is going to reach washington a lot quicker and get out a lot quicker whereas the western theater is a little bit slow to trickle in and I think that's one of the reasons why some of the Eastern battles get a little bit more um, attention than, say, the Western battles do. But both are equally, I think, important in terms of the Civil War. You can't study one without looking at the other because I, I don't think you would fully understand the war.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, it also kind of fits really nicely into our conversation that we had or last week about um, kind of talking about the current president and how he was talking about Grant and how Lincoln had, you know, uh, was so confused with Lee and all that kind of stuff. We we addressed that thoroughly. I, f- I feel last week, but um, I think that Grant's role in the West and his transition to the East is really important too. Obviously, in Chickamauga plays a Chickamauga and Chattanooga together play a huge role in Grant's rise to um, to prominence and and really being that very clear. Era parents, or you know, what it was not that that Lincoln made a bold choice turning to Grant. He was the clear choice at that point, m- mostly because of um, the loss at Chickamauga without him there, and then he he arrives and 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 does such a good job with the Chattanooga campaign, culminating with uh, you know Lookout Mountain in the Battle of Chattanooga, uh, and controlling that, which was arguably as important as Vicksburg. After Vicksburg had fallen, it was it was nearly as important. So. Um, Pretty cool stuff, Um, and uh, yeah, definitely a a nice little battlefield to visit for sure, Uh, and I would recommend it. Uh, So turning the page to uh, what we're talking about this week, which is Lincoln and the press. Um, This week we're talking not only about Lincoln's relationship with newspapers and newsprint, uh, which was essentially the press in his day, uh, but also what that means uh, historically and and how that plays out now, especially since... um, we're in an interesting time with uh, politicians and the current president and what he has said about the press. So, we'll take you through a little bit about Lincoln's uh, life as far as how it revolved around newspapers, the role of newspapers in his uh, career and in his rise, uh, and then, of course, <clears throat> how he dealt with the press as president of the United States. Many of you are probably familiar with Abraham Lincoln as a child being an avid reader. That is very true. Uh, he definitely borrowed many books. He borrowed as many books as he could get his hands on, uh, and he was very much uh, a, a very dedicated and avid, avid reader, which was not um, very common, at least for folks of his, uh, his lot, um, being a poorer person on the frontier, and books not being real, real available at that time. Interestingly, though, he was also an avid reader of newspapers. Um, which was definitely not something that young people did nearly as much. Um, and he um, would uh, did most of his reading. Um, he devoured papers in his Indiana days. Once he arrived in New Salem as a young man, uh, he was um, always anxiously awaiting the arrival of the St. Louis Republican in the Louisville Journal, were the uh, two newspapers that he would um, anticipate getting in New Salem. And then, of course, he regularly read Springfield's Sangamo Journal, which was a uh, Whig paper. Uh, Michael Burlingame, in his uh, multi-volume Lincoln biography, Abraham Lincoln: A Life, uh, referred to the Sangamon Journal, the Sangamo Journal, as, Burling, or as uh, Lincoln's political Bible. Uh, so that was where he really, in the early days, started emerging as a Whig, um, as as his um, kind of political um, his exposure to politics at an early age. Uh, when he was a child in Indiana, he would actually—he was known for reading the newspaper to folks who couldn't read, uh, which I think is just kind of a neat little glimpse into to who he was as a young person. Um, and his reading of newspapers began to shape his life politically as early as the 1830s. Uh, he actually switched his preference. He was an Andrew Jackson supporter until he really started reading a lot of newspapers and a lot of Whig newspapers. Um, and he switched his allegiance to Henry Clay uh, in the eighteen thirties, based really uh, based on what he was reading in the newspapers. Uh, and then, of course, the you know Whigs being um, definitely a party that supported more internal improvements, more infrastructure development. Um, what we would probably now consider more of a liberal party um, that um, evolved, or at least um, out of the ashes of it, rose the uh, uh, Republican Party. So. Um, so other things about um, his role in reading the newspaper early on, uh, he, he became postmaster of New Salem in 1833, uh, which was important because it exposed his early political, um, not, not political leanings like political beliefs, but political leanings like or political ideologies basically just in his relationships with people and his um you know, ability to to build relationships and to kind of be a man of man of the town kind of thing and he was appointed postmaster of New Salem in 1833 which gave him a little bit of a paycheck but it also gave him access to newspapers that he otherwise wouldn't have had so he took newspapers from the post office and as postmaster general saw a lot of newspapers um, that he had at his disposal in that role Um, I also, I think that that his role as postmaster, and and we can talk about this maybe in a different episode, but often gets, uh, undervalued as a, um, element of his, um, development, politically at least, because, um, because it allowed him to really get a network. You know, he talked to people all over the town and all over the county, and that's how he really started to establish a name for himself well before he was entertaining a career in law or a career in politics. Uh, once he did go into politics, um, his first term as representative in Springfield uh, is when he really began his writing uh, career and his presence in the press as a writer. Um, and he would write anonymous editorials that were be- they were published in the Sangamo Journal. Uh, the person who worked with him, the deputy postmaster, estimated that uh, he, the deputy postmaster, delivered hundreds of editorials from Lincoln to the editor of the Sangamo Journal. Simeon Francis. Uh, Now, it's important to note that back in those days, the newspapers were expressly and shamelessly partisan. There was no uh, hiding it. There was no um, illusion of non-partisanship or or being unbiased or trying to be a, you know, uh, 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 impartial um, presenter of information or beliefs. There was there were Whig papers and there were Democrat papers uh, and they were very very open about that and it wasn't anything secret, um, not unlike Fox News perhaps and maybe N- MSNBC right now. Um, it was they were probably a little bit more ex- expressly partisan, um, but you know I think like Lincoln putting editorials in the Sangamo Journal exposed his political leanings as much as. Being a pundit on Fox News would not today very much um, kind of show that you're a conservative. Um, so it was not frowned upon or looked looked badly upon that he was doing these kinds of things, um, or at least writing these editorials that were very partisan. It, it wasn't. It didn't uh, signal poor journalism. It just was what it was. Uh, I do think it was also a very important element of mid nineteenth century politics, the, the role of the newspaper is extremely important. And I think you really, I think it is a fair comparison. And I'd love to hear what you, the two of you think about it. Like, I think it is a fair comparison, the role of the newspaper then and the role of um, perhaps social media, but definitely cable news now, today.
1: No, I, I do. I do agree with that um, completely. Like, like the newspaper was, like it was the source back then, you know, people don't have like today we've got newspapers, you got Facebook, you can go on your tablet or your iPhone and watch, you know, news clips and all that. And newspapers back then, like, um, and just in research that I've done, you know, my years that I worked at, at a museum, you know, like there was so much more in them. It was like, almost in a way like Facebook, because there would be like gossip columns in there and stuff and who was doing what. And, so-and-so had done this or went or went away on vacation like my own town newspaper like up until i think the early 1980s had a column and my parents were mentioned in it once where it was like mr and mrs eric fincher went over to england you know for a vacation um just stuff like that like it was where people got all their news from so i think they you know it was kind of like their their social media at the time
2: yeah i i think uh I think a lot of people think, like, back in been slanted, which definitely wasn't the case at all at this time with these newspapers. So, I mean, this isn't a new problem in 2018. I mean, we see it all the way back with Lincoln. You know, when you kind of think of the golden age of journalism, um, it's really kind of the muckrakers, to me, where they kind of come out and then they're exposing, you know, the wrongs in society, which, to me, I like to think that's what journalism is there for, to keep everybody in check, um, real journalism. But... Yeah, that was not the case in Lincoln's Times for sure. So I think it's a very fair comparison to compare it to cable news now. So I often think about that too. So, and then I like the, your point of the Facebook. I mean, newspapers definitely had a different st- structure back then than what mm-hmm. they do now. So I never thought about it. So you just mentioned it. I think that's a good analogy though. Yeah,
1: they were very, like, I mean, even com- like, you know, just looking, like I said, the various newspapers I've looked at, you know, back in the 1800s, I've looked at copies of my old town's newspaper and it is like kind of like reading sometimes a gossip column. But yeah, you could also get a sense of which way the paper leaned politically. And at that time in my little town, there was two different papers and one was one way politically and the other was another way politically. So um, it would have been interesting to know what readership was like, you know, like who was reading what, or if people read, you know, both to get both sides of the story.
0: Yeah. And I, I these are great points. I, Mary, I've had a very similar experience that you've had where um I'm working on a research project now with some students on a local history thing and like our most of our sources are, new, are old newspapers and it's and and I was a history teacher for for a few years like and I've learnt, you know I've studied history for quite a while and I never really realized just what you know from a local history standpoint what those old newspapers had in them i mean and you're right it's like you know it's not just famous people like it's very much like social media like we came across for the subjects of our uh, project that we're working on like they would have relatives in in town and there'd be a something a thing in the paper that just said like hey uh, cousin so-and-so is in town if anybody wants to stop for tea stop by the the tucker's house (laughs) like it was like in the newspaper like hey you know somebody's visiting from mississippi (laughs) or um you know The obituaries were long, and oftentimes there was an article along with them. Um, Really, um, from a small town standpoint, um, treasure troves for information. It's really fascinating, and there's nothing like that now. Um, And another thing that I found interesting, too, and I I was looking just as I was kind of um, doing this research uh, for, for this work project I'm working on with just a library card. I have access to digital records of every single newspaper that was published in our area for, you know, forever since there was, since there were newspapers, um, and it's all been digitized. So I can just type in, um, a phrase and and it'll, it searches through all those archives, which is just amazing to me. But, um, I I was looking up Abraham Lincoln just to say like, Oh man, it'd be kind of cool to maybe do an episode of the rail splitter on, coverage in, you know, in our town of, of Abraham Lincoln. Well, he's a little bit, we were still just kind of getting off the ground as, as a community back in those days. So all we had was a weekly paper. Um, and because of the slowness of, um, information and all that kind of stuff, the, the Civil War articles are, are not very thorough and they don't really cover a whole lot. Um, but there's tons of stuff that's more local. So I'm guessing that they use the Chicago papers more for, for news of the war and news of Lincoln. Um, But another thing that I find very fascinating about these competing political newspapers, they oftentimes um, become one paper. Um, For example, where I'm from in Rockford, there were two competing papers who were on opposite sides politically. Many times there was the Rockford Register, and then there was the Rockford Star. Well, now the one paper in town is the Rockford Register Star. Uh, The same thing happened in Springfield. Um, there's the Sangamo journal and then the Illinois state register. Well, now the only paper or the main paper in Springfield is the Springfield journal register. So like they merge and they just, and they take both names. So it's not like the journal buys the register or the register buys the journal. You know, I'm sure that happened, but when they, they merged, they, they kept two names. So a lot of times when you see those, um, you know, like I, as a kid, I never thought anything of it. we, we just call it the register star, and and no one ever really you know acknowledges like yeah no they were actually competing newspapers there used to be two um, for a while it was the Rockford Morning Star and the Rockford Register um, but then when they combined so that's to me that's kind of uh, an interesting little dynamic of small town and mid- mid-sized uh, city newspapers uh, and Springfield fits that mold too so um, yeah they're a, they're a treasure trove and you know you, you talk about going down like YouTube rabbit holes and. Uh, Wikipedia rabbit holes, if you start doing some searches on the local papers, um, there's really some fascinating stuff. And I just, you know, just started going, getting into stuff. And we found some really, really fascinating stuff for our, just for our project, Um, doing more genealogical type research, but it was, it was definitely fascinating. So, going back to Lincoln, uh, when he wrote those anonymous editorials, and one other thing I wanted to make, uh, one other point I wanted to make about the anonymous editorials, that also wasn't a big deal. Now, if we had an elected official submitting an editorial to a newspaper anonymously, that'd be a little shady. I don't know if I'd be real happy with someone whose salary is publicly funded, who runs for public office, writing anonymously. At the time... Uh, one, it really wasn't frowned upon. It was fairly normal. And two, it really wasn't anonymous. Like, most people probably knew that it was Lincoln, or at least had an idea it was Lincoln, or it was either Lincoln or someone in, in a very similar position as Lincoln. Um, so it wasn't like they were trying to hide identity as much as it was just kind of the way it was done in those days. Um, and, you know, similar to like the Federalist Papers, um, you know, how the Federalist Papers were, were written Um, we know for for the most part, which ones Hamilton wrote, which ones Jay wrote, which ones Madison wrote, um, and, and the differences between the two, but they were anonymous, even though everybody knew who wrote them and it wasn't like trying to hide behind anything. It was just, it was just written anonymously. So this is very similar to that. So there's no shame in him writing things anonymously. However, they did take a, a, they were decidedly partisan and sometimes bordering on nasty as far as the personal attacks um you know it's
2: it's
0: historians um struggle to determine with certainty which ones are lincoln there's always that historic debate like can we definitively say that any anonymous editorial was lincoln even though most of the contemporaries um would verify that it was lincoln um historians agree on on many being his uh, but usually it'll be written um, almost certainly in lincoln's hand or almost certainly written by lincoln um so you know they can't definitively say it, but it was mostly Lincoln um and he would he would throw some mud um the register claimed Lincoln was famous for not only throwing filth but for swallowing it afterward, so whatever that, that means but uh they they did get pretty nasty uh, and they did get pretty partisan um and when he would air out his concerns like this um it would it would sometimes devolve into name calling and, and real real significant mudslinging and as we've talked about on a previous episode, uh, this kind of activity is what led Lincoln to his duel uh, with uh, James Shields, the whole James Shields incident where they went across the river and they were going to go over to Missouri and have a, have themselves a good old fashioned duel which you know, speaking of Alexander Hamilton, sometimes doesn't always work out so well um, so it wasn't like it was all fun and games or this like light hearted Kind of name-calling. It was a serious, serious, for sure. Uh, and it was very much how people aired their differences with their political rivals. So, you know, and in that regard, I, I see more similarities with social media and even cable news, you know, where there's, you know, they say some, some pretty nasty stuff. And of course, now in, we're in an age where it's escalated significantly um, with Twitter and whatever else, and, you know, and with, with the president, the current president feeling... Like name calling and and mudslinging is is an art form, um, and it, it does harken back to some of these uh, editorial days for sure. Um, Lincoln wrote articles uh, chastising Democrats for um, potentially extending the vote to black people. Um, he wrote a farcical letter um, as if he were a black man named uh, Caesar, like it spelled like sees, like he sees her. Um, so there's definitely, and that is one thing that I think folks need to realize looking at Lincoln's relationship with the press totally, but certainly in this regard, um, there's some things that aren't real, aren't real pleasant. And if you're kind of a Lincoln apologist, or if you want to try to make him into this perfect man, you're going to be disappointed because a lot of the stuff he wrote, especially in those days was racist, was contrary to what he ended up doing as far as equality and his support for black suffrage and things like that. But he did write those, um, write those editorial. Um, and perhaps that was part of the reason that they were anonymous. Um, but, um, he definitely was, um, had a lot of racist comments in those early editorials trying, um, interestingly, both parties were trying to portray the other as sympathetic to black folks um, as, as a weakness. So both parties would say like, no, you're the party who wants to enfranchise black people. You're the party who wants them to vote. And then they would say, no, 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 you are. So obviously this is a different time. Uh, but still these are not things that we're real proud of Abraham Lincoln for participating in. So, um, from a political standpoint, these editorials are very significant. You know, he had already been elected to the general assembly when he started writing them. But they're very significant in getting him that prominence, um, one, uh, regionally enough to get him nominated for his one term in Congress, uh, but then also to keep him in people's minds for him becoming a, the candidate in 1858 for state senate. Um, so it, his editorials and his um, work with politically in that regard were definitely important. Um, however, once he got to that part of his political career, newspapers were extremely important in him rising to fame. So, if, you know, we talk about the Cooper Union speech, we talk about the Lincoln Douglas debates, but why, why did those, t- you know, those two events significantly raise him to national attention, or at least enough attention to get him the Republican nomination? Well, it was because of newspapers. Um, the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, sorry, the Chicago Times and the Chicago Sun, which of course became the Chicago Sun-Times when those two papers merged, uh, cover the debates, the Lincoln-Douglas debates extensively, um, and you see Lincoln get very upset because he feels he's being misquoted, he feels like he's being, uh, misrepresented, but he never spoke out publicly against the press here, at least in the 1858 Senate election, so he, friends, um, reported that he was very frustrated with how he was quoted or misquoted uh, by the Chicago Times, but there's no record of him speaking out publicly, and there's also no record of him uh, going after a journalist personally. So um, I think that the role of these editorials is important because a lot of times rivals would go after each other in an editorial form, but they would not go after even par- partisan journalists or reporters back in those th- days, and, and certainly not during the 1858 election. So if a journalist was putting their name on something and really writing uh, more from what we would consider an an editorial standpoint or an op-ed standpoint at this point in history, uh, Lincoln kept his mouth shut and didn't go after him, which I think is an important distinction between him and the current president now, um, and really arguably every president up to now where they don't attack journalists or hadn't attacked journalists. Um, Certainly not in the way that we're seeing now, Um, not just with Jim Acosta being barred, but um, You know, the other day, our current president um, pointed in a reporter's face and told her that 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 was a stupid question. And she always asks stupid questions, things like this. Um, I don't think Lincoln would have really been doing. um, But that said, he did use favorable reporters to his advantage. He knew he knew where his friends were in the press and he took advantage of that, made sure that they got time with him. They got quotes from him. Um, and he was a smart enough politician to know the power of the press and to use, uh, use reporters that were favorable to him uh, to his advantage. Uh, we do know that um, when he got abused from the press, he would it would upset him. Um, he did tell his wife how painful it was for him, um, and she was actually influential in um, trying to kind of build him up a little bit. She oftentimes told him he was too thin-skinned, um, in that um, he shouldn't let that affect his conduct toward the press. Um, so he was kind of able to um, to get past it, I think. And, you know, like many of us, he probably used his spouse as a comforting sounding board when he was frustrated and then got it out of his system so he didn't need to attack the press since he had already kind of got it um, off his chest. Um, historian, uh, journalism historian uh, Edwin Emery wrote, A few presidents suffered more from editorial abuse than Lincoln. Opposition editors and disappointed favor seekers accused him in print of vicious deeds, which the patient president usually ignored. He was falsely accused of drawing his salary in gold bars while his soldiers were paid in deflated greenbacks. He was charged with drunkenness while making crucial decisions, with granting pardons to secure votes, and with needless butchering of armies as a result of his lust for victories. Uh, once he was even accused of outright treason, typical of his press detractors was the Lacrosse Democrat, which was a Wisconsin weekly which said um, of the draft of the dra- the Selective service draft, Lincoln has called for fifty thousand more victims as opposed wow. to yeah, service people. so wow yep, yep so so the even as president, um, he got tons of abuse, of course, uh, but as Nicolay and Hay would say um he did have he was able to grease the skids as he would call it which would be to get favorable editorials printed um and to to use the press that way so um that's kind of lincoln's relationship um, with editorials and editorializing but i think in order to really understand lincoln's relationship with the press it's important to point out some really unpopular things that he did with regard to freedom of the press and the First Amendment. Um, and I do think that's important if we're going to make any comparisons to the current administration. Um, no president, uh, this is uh, Harold Holzer, who wrote uh, the book, uh, Lincoln and the Power of the Press, The War for Public Opinion, which I have not read, but I've read about, and and it's it was pretty well reviewed. Um, But That's specifically about Lincoln and the press, so that's definitely, if you want more reading after this episode, I would think that that would be a good place to go. Uh, But Harold Holzer said, no president ever cracked down on the press more than Abraham Lincoln did. Uh, And specifically what we're talking about, Lincoln shut down several newspapers, including some in Chicago, for what he said to be treasonous statements. Uh, Holzer said he had to draw the line between dissent and treason And he did it in a way favorable to his administration and the pursuit of quashing the rebellion. So, Hoesler does not pull any punches here. He's saying that the reason he shut these papers down uh, was to protect his own administration, of course, but protecting his administration was also um, to try to quash the rebellion or put the South down. Um, He ended up closing down about 200 newspapers. He imprisoned editors... Um, and usually it was for encouraging secession and discouraging enlistment. So this is not a part of Lincoln history that is fun to learn about or to talk about, but I think it's important to take into consideration when we're looking at Lincoln as as a man as a whole. So um, this is probably very much an ends versus means kind of discussion. Does the Ends justify the means if he really truly felt that this was aiding the Confederacy in a way that would have perpetuated the war, perpetuated enslavement. Was it worth shutting down the free press, or was this such an affront to the freedom of expression and the freedom of the press that it's inexcusable, or somewhere in the middle? Um, I'm leaning. I lean more toward it being inexcusable. I, I really don't see how newspapers. We're really going to undermine his administration in the war to a point where they may have lost it. Um, and trying to say that we're fighting a war for freedom while limiting the freedom of the press, I think, is a, is a hard sell. Uh, I don't know what your your thoughts on that would be.
1: No, I I agree with what you say that it's you know here here he is trying to like you know fighting for freedom, but he's shutting down these newspapers. Um, that, and maybe it was one of these like, well, I better stop it before, you know, something bad happens. Um, you know, kind of like, uh, not really do with the press, but when John Fremont issued the proclamation, mm-hmm. you know, I think little things like that probably started adding up and scaring Lincoln, like thinking, well, if this kind of stuff gets out, you know, if the press gets hold of this, what, what can they do with this and how can they, you know, how can they use it against me?
2: Yeah, I would side with inexcusable. Um, you know, if you're on a you're on a side of a debatable topic, you know, if you can't make your argument um to the point where you think you have a fair opportunity to preach your side and win people over, um and you can't do that and you gotta close it down, then you're probably not on the right side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know what I mean? And especially in a democracy, too. I mean, you know, we're, we're based on the people. Um, if the people buy into that, you know, that that's one of the downfalls of democracy, I guess. If they, you kind of get the government you deserve, you know. Um, so I definitely would side with an excusable on that. And it is one of the tougher things to do um, or to deal with with Lincoln. So, yeah, I, and I agree. I, I don't think it was going to change the war. I mean, felt like it got rid of the, you know, out there towards Lincoln. I mean, even with them shutting down, there was still plenty out there um, getting their message around. So, Yeah, um,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that just the power of the press and the role of the press in the Civil War era is extremely important. You know, you look at um, was Elijah, Elijah Lovejoy, who wrote mm-hmm. a abolitionist newspaper, Um he was attacked and his printing press was thrown in the river and I believe he ended up dying or being killed over yeah. over his journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, and that's clearly um, shocking and, you know, a terrible abuse of, of, of the free press. But how far away is that from what Lincoln did by shutting papers down and imprisoning editors, especially as we've talked about already in this episode, newspapers were decidedly partisan. So to say that they were seditious um, by printing things that were anti-union, well, if a political party or position was anti-union, you you have to respect that, like it or not, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which is not always easy to do. Um, I really like this quote from historian Mark Neely, who wrote, "Uh, Freedom of the press survived the Civil War as the two-party system survived it, more or less in spite of itself. Vigilante mobs, unthinking generals, and politicians threatened press freedom in the North, here and there and from time to time, but their actions were often egged on and in the end usually excused and artfully explained by the influential newspapermen. The government did not systematically and as a matter of policy threaten to stop the presses except in border states, and the judiciary almost never did so, but the press itself was a constant threat. It's partisan nature made journalists themselves serious enemies of freedom of the press in wartime. I find that interesting. I really like the beginning of that quote when he says that it survived in spite of itself. So, you know, in a a weird way, it kind of fought to keep itself around by kind of allowing these things to happen. So, in other words, if, if enough papers failed to report on the shutting down of the newspapers, then they themselves wouldn't get shut down and the press kind of exists. Uh, the one thing Lincoln did not do, which I think is important, um, he did grease the skids, he did put in editorials, he was favorable to journals who were favorable to him, but he never suggested creating a state run press or to write stories and create newspapers that were specifically by and for the government. Um, so he did, you know, he did stop well short of that, which is, which is obviously. Um, would have been a huge step towards, you know, like a totalitarian type of setup, which would have been hugely problematic. Um, but, you know, the, the feeling that the that the union was so delicate that Lincoln had to do things that, that we can, I mean, we can only believe he knew were wrong, um, specifically with habeas corpus, imprisoning political opponents, uh, shutting down newspapers, Um, the only excuse I can think of is that the, 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 he felt the union was so delicate and the war effort was so delicate and support for it was so essential that he couldn't risk it. Um, but again, if we're looking at ends justifying the means, you know, what, you know, how can we say that we're fighting for freedom on one front while we're not fighting for freedom on the other? Um, I do think that they chose the, the, the correct one obviously to fight for. Uh, which would be um, the end of enslavement, you know. and Just because he was on, you know, the newspapers were uh, we're on the wrong side of history in many regards. Still, I don't think it excuses him uh, shutting him down. Um, there were a few that were shut down that he overturned and he said to open back up. There was a couple. There were a couple overzealous generals who shut down a lot of newspapers. Uh, Burnside actually being one of them um, that Lincoln would actually kind of um, overturn. Um, and sometimes senators from border states who were kind of in delicate political positions, knew that they needed to keep some of the readership of some of these papers happy, so they would ask Lincoln to please not do that. Um, but I, it is, I think, important to note that uh, that he did. He shut down 200 newspapers, and it's it's a less than pleasant thing to um, to think about when we're talking
2: about Lincoln. That's well, kind of funny, the border states, because you kind of need. I kind of view this like with Iraq, you know, when we were over there and we were trying to set up the government, like, you know, when we help put the person in power, he kind of also has to play the angle of bad mouth in America. So he doesn't seem like a total puppet. And I think you saw that in the border states somewhat, you know, Lincoln had Mm -hmm. to kind of let them lash back at him to keep the support. So they just didn't look like um, they were being manipulated by the North. Um, So. I'm sure you kind of definitely need support there too. So Mm -hmm. it's just. And there was like.
1: um, You know, the press, like Sherman was known for kicking them out of his camp. Hated them being around there. And I think one of his quotes was um, I would send them all to hell, but then we would have news from hell before breakfast. (laughs) something like he he did not like the newspapermen because he believed that they would spread rumors or that things would get out and um, but i mean he he was paranoid about a lot of different things but newspaper men were definitely something he he didn't like hanging around
2: yep another reason why sherman was an ass no i'm shocked. Sure. Well, he kind of left past that time, so let's be honest. Yeah, he, yeah. Oh, he, oh,
1: he was. No, I'm not. He's not a perfect person at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely not. So, uh, Maren, you had also talked a little bit about censorship in the show notes. I don't know if you wanted to take over that part of the show.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Lincoln, um, he was uh, in his book, um, Lincoln's Greatest Journey, uh, Noah Andre Trudeau, Um talks about, he. this book is about 16 days that Lincoln spent with um, President Grant and uh, at City Point in 1865. And I would highly recommend it to people. I've, um, I've read it and I've also listened to the audiobook version as well. It's a very interesting book. Uh, Trudeau actually argues in it that those 16 days changed Lincoln as a person, profoundly. Uh, but unfortunately we'll never know that because he was assassinated so soon after he got back from city point. Um, So Trudeau argues that he was moderate in his support of censorship when it came to dispatches about the war effort. Um, Often his generals preferred more censorship um, while journalists wanted less censorship, which of course makes complete sense, right? Like if you're a general, you don't want a lot getting out because you don't want people to know where you are, what you're doing. But as a journalist, you want to report on exactly what's happening. Um, so the system for releasing bulletins when Lincoln was visiting General Grant in 1865, General, General would write, write a short version of events with public readership in mind. This was sent to the war department. It was reviewed, um, I think Edwin Stanton obviously was one of the ones who reviewed it. And then it would be sent to the press and it was spread across the country via telegraph. And it would be in communities within one to three days. So this change had come about because often the government would find itself having to do damage control after something had been leaked. Uh, Trudeau cites the most notable example being in mid-May of 1864 when a purported presidential proclamation calling for a preemptory draft of 400,000 more troops was released and immediately picked up by two New York newspapers. And it was determined that this um, release had been completely bogus. And it was this event that spurred Secretary of War Edwin Stanton to release occasional summaries of military engagements using dispatches sent to him from the field in order to establish an official outlet for war information. Um, So while he was at City Point, Lincoln would go to the telegraph office each day to see, you know, what was coming in, what was going out. And it was there that one day he started editing and annotating one of the messages. And Trudeau argues that Lincoln's impulsive act was a hit. News editors were quick to banner these releases as President Lincoln, or a war war bulletin from the president, or the president to the people. Um, One editor stated that people who never believed in him before began to think that he was just the face to keep guard over the news today. And they involuntarily cheered for the rail splitter, alias the Confederacy Splitter.
0: (laughs) I I love it, I love it.
1: And then apparently the, the New York Herald offered Lincoln a correspondence job in the next war, at a salary of $100 a week, his rations, and a fresh horse every six months. Um, so I thought this was a great thing to include in our episode. Um, you know, here's Lincoln at the end of the war. He's editing these dispatches. He's adding in his own commentary Stanton, at the War Department, and they're being released to the press, which... I think at the time, I, I know the war is nearing an end, but um, that must have been a huge morale booster for people too. But also just to have the president um, very, very close to the front lines uh, near the end of the war um, must have been quite something for people to read about.
0: Yeah, I, I like that a lot. It would have been fun if he could have you know, called them on their bluff and said yeah, sure. I'll take that salary and the horse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, a couple other just issues with the press that, uh, we didn't talk about that I think are interesting, um, maybe further reading if you're really looking at it is, um, I think the role of the press in the abolition movement, um, can't be understated when you have, um, very, very influential newspaper owners who, who, you know, were are we're financially successful based on it. I don't think that's anything you know necessarily wrong with that, but, um, you know, uh, newspapers playing a big role in, in promoting abolition and, you know, and the anti-slavery movement was powered largely by by the press in, in many, many ways um, and, and really just support for the union in general um, and just kind of the evolution of newspapers um, as as a medium um, and how it's kind of evolved into, into what the press is now um, because I do think that, you know, obviously a free press is the bedrock of any free society, um, and from the revolution on up, it's been a huge, hugely important tool, uh, and certainly a tool for, um, for helping people who are oppressed, um, but also for perpetuating some of that oppression as well. So, um, interesting time, uh, uh, to think about politics and how that all plays out. So, um, uh, Mary Nick, did either one of you have anything else you wanted to add with, um, with regard to Lincoln and the press?
2: No. Good job, you two. I definitely just rode your coattails on this episode.
1: Thank you, Jeremy, for doing the notes for this episode. No
0: problem. No problem. I I definitely owed it to the team because I hadn't put some show notes together in a while. Um, So we, we will announce very soon on social media which chapters we will include in our first installment of the Lincoln Book Club, which we... Announced not, you know, a while ago, we've been a little slow to get that out, but we'll get that out and uh, definitely schedule an episode to chat about Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald C. White, which I'm very much looking forward to reading. I actually am about 80% or so of the way through his Grant biography, which has been excellent. um, And interestingly, has not really mentioned Grant's drinking yet at all, which I find quite fascinating. Um, so, and I know that's a contrast to Chernow's uh, biography, but anyway, that's, that's time for, that's material for another discussion altogether. So, um, real quickly before we get into our Of the People, By the People, in This Week in Lincoln, I did want to read a review that we got this month in November, which was so great to get. Uh, Jackson 52. We always read our reviews on the air just to encourage folks to write reviews. So even if it's a one star, we definitely would read those. But this one is not a one star, so which we thank you for. It's a four star review. Hi, guys. First of all, I wanted to say thanks for starting this podcast. I've been a lifelong fan admirer of our 16th president. I'm 66 and counting. Um, And I'm always looking for new information on him, including new books. I'm currently reading Your Friend Forever A. Lincoln, thanks to your mention of it. I came across your podcast while perusing Lincoln assassination sites online and listened to your three-part Lincoln assassination series, very informative shows. So I decided to start at the beginning and download your shows to listen to on my morning walks. I just finished episode 15, Ken Burns. As for my four-star rating, I would have liked to give you five, but chose to withhold a star for two reasons. One, I have a problem with the audio quality. The cutting out and or differing volume levels are frustrating. Two, the WWE references. I'm sure, I'm sure you must have some fans that appreciate it, but for someone who has zero interest in the, quote, sport, it gets somewhat eye-rolly. With that said, I plan to listen to all the episodes. Keep up the good work. Yours in Lincoln, Jackson. Jackson, that, my friend, was a review. Thank you so much for that. That was really well done. That's awesome. uh, I am going to steal your term eye That's a great term and it fits very well into Nick's insistence on putting wrestling into everything. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, thank you for listening. I hope the audio quality has improved. If you are frustrated with the audio quality, that's 100% on me. Uh, for better or for worse, um, but I think the earlier episodes, it's much worse than it is now. Hopefully, it's a little bit better, uh, and I really like your sign off yours and Lincoln. So, Jackson, thank you so much for that review. If you have not yet written a review, please do so. We appreciate the feedback to help us make the show better, um, and we also um, are always trying to um, just get some feedback and get higher up on the Google searches. Um, we did get a. I would up-
2: rate that. Review a four star. Because, because of the negative response to WWE. Um, which is definitely not a sport. <laughs> um, so I appreciate it in quotes. So uh
0: we did also have an update to an existing
2: I think our earlier episodes were a little bit more heavy. Go
0: ahead. A little bit more what?
2: I don't know, the sub got cut in and out there, so there goes, there goes their poor audio quality yeah, as I'm talking about WWE as well. I so. think it's
0: a sign. Uh, we did get an update on an existing review, which is always good, and we always appreciate from Glass Half Full Mom. Update, my, ori- my original review is below. I have followed this podcast with a full measure of devotion. Nice. Uh, the group has continued to grow and the program gets better and better. Although I'm not a rail splitter, joining my friends each week via this podcast makes me feel like one. Thanks for pouring yourself into this work. You are welcome. Thank you so much for such kind words. Um, and anyone who wants to be a rail splitter is a rail splitter. We're not an exclusive club to people who are on the show or host the show. Um, But anyway, thank you for updating your review to give us a little bit more feedback. And that one was a five-star, which we always appreciate as well. Um, So please, uh, if you have not uh, written a review yet, please do so. uh, Just because we like to read them on the air. And it gives us some nice feedback. Uh, You can also follow us at RailsplitterPod on Twitter or Instagram. And definitely join our Facebook group, which seems to be growing by the day. I think I've approved four or five just this week. Uh, So please join the Facebook group. There's lots of Lincoln content posted on there all the time. So Of the People by the People is our weekly feature where we talk about social media posts about Abraham Lincoln or really anything uh, that we like. So Mary or Nick, do you have an installment for Of the People by the People for us this week? I do. Go for it.
1: So mine is, um, as we all know, the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address is coming up on Monday, uh, November 19th. So um, we've mentioned his tweets a few times on the show, but Lincoln belongs to the ages. Um, at Mr. Lincoln has started doing his uh, annual Gettysburg tweets. And he tweets um, both you know, talking about the history of what was going on at the time, but he also tweets in person as Abraham Lincoln, which is pretty cool. So he started doing that. So I would encourage all of our listeners to follow along with him. Um, and he and I will actually both be in Gettysburg this year for uh, the anniversary of the address. And he usually live tweets the address at some point on the 19th as well. So be sure to follow along with that. And I will be tweeting um, as much as I can from both um, the Rail Splitter Twitter account, as well as my um, Civil War fangirl Twitter account as well. Um, I'm going to the Cyclorama, um, a lecture about it on Saturday evening. So be sure to post lots of pictures um, of that and as well i will be at the dedication ceremonies on the, on monday the 19th as well
0: so i'm going to join the rest of rail splutter nation in our request that you hit that record button on whatever device you're bringing and yep. <laughs> get us lots of content so hopefully i will <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll have tons of stuff uh that, that mary will share with us and that we of course will share with all of you uh, from her journey to Gettysburg, which is always special, but of course is going to be even more special in uh, well in July, but then also in uh, mid-November, which is the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address itself. Nick, do you have a social media post you wanted to bring to our attention?
2: I do. I got one from Kevin Levine. Uh, and it is, he tweeted out a quote from Trudeau. Uh, in regards to around, I don't know if it was Veterans Day or a day before Veterans Day. Uh, But as we know, many of the leaders were out in France. Um, There was rain. One person decided not to go. Um, And then Justin Trudeau did, and he dropped this quote. As we sit here in the rain, thinking how uncomfortable we must be these minutes as our suits get wet and our hair gets wet, it's all the more fitting that we remember on that day in the rain wasn't rain. It was bullets. So, um, throwing some shade. Like it. Yep, we once had an episode called Lincoln's Mic Drop Moments.
0: I believe that would qualify as a Trudeau mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, And I liked it because it wasn't about throwing shade. It wasn't about the mic drop. He was making a good point while also throwing a little bit of shade. <laughs> um, recent developments in Illinois... <laughs> There were some hearings. This, there's still, The Lincoln Foundation still needs $9 million to pay off their balance. Um, I'm still confused. If the current governor-elect could spend $171 million on his campaign, why can't he spend $9 million and just buy some Lincoln stuff and donate it to the museum? But anyway, um, so there was actually hearings in Springfield about the collection and what it means and what can be done about it. And literally testifying before the committee was a Lincoln presenter. So, uh, Mike uh, Ropel, um, R I O P E L L, um, tweeted, um, and he, he actually works for the Trib, the Chicago Tribune. Uh, he tweeted, An Abraham Lincoln impersonator is testifying in character in a legislative committee hearing about the authenticity of the stovepipe hat in the Lincoln Museum collection. In the most Illinois thing that has ever happened. Um, So I just kind of liked his his turn of phrase there, being the most Illinois thing to ever happen. Uh, One thing I did enjoy, um, we've been a show long enough and we've been active in the Lincoln community long enough where I was able to look at this photo and be like, oh, it's Randy. Uh, Randy Duncan was the actual (laughs) Lincoln presenter uh, who presented in front of a legislative committee. Um, So he is a very talented Lincoln presenter. Uh, his, uh, he struck me, Nick and I uh, actually had a fairly lengthy conversation with him twice, uh, once in Springfield and once at the Lincoln Presenters Conference. Very, very, very nice man, but also really very quite knowledgeable about Lincoln. Um, combined knowledge of Lincoln's life with knowledge of Lincoln as a person into a really, really good presentation of Lincoln. Uh, so I very, very lightheartedly threw a little bit of shade by correcting the impersonator term to presenter because that was made abundantly clear to nick and i when we went to the lincoln presenters conference not impersonators presenters i'm not saying one is more you know i don't know what's what's wrong with one or right about the other but they're the people who do it so they get to say it but anyway it's good to see randy randy was on the show one time when he was doing a play portraying abraham lincoln uh in springfield and uh again super nice guy and it's kind of neat that he was able to present in front of the legislative committee. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to get the nine million anytime soon. But I also don't know if the collection is going to go anywhere either. Um, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll get that paid off, and the collection will be safe, um, regardless of whether or not they can prove that uh, that stove, stove pipe pep was actually his. So, uh, a of or, excuse me, a uh, this week in Lincoln. Do either one of you have something, or should we go to the, our bank of T-shirts?
1: Go Go
0: to to the bank. Go to the bank. Go go to the bank. So I'm trying to remember which ones we've talked about and which ones we haven't because we've gotten away from it um, for a little bit. Um, Trying to go back here. It was in July that I was taking those pictures in Springfield. Oh, and by the way, next week I will be in Springfield. So um, while Mary's in uh, Gettysburg, I will be traveling to Springfield. So um, we may have some content there to talk about as well. Um, so for the, uh, t-shirts that we've talked about, the Pink Floyd one, right? And we've talked mm-hmm. about, um, the, uh, Night Before things. Christmas one. Yep. Oh, Come on, where are my t-shirts? Um, there's one, did we talk about the Stranger Things one?
2: I think so. I we thought did. so. Yes, we did. Yeah.
0: Man. All right. Um, and I did actually, um, when I was on my way down South, I noticed Lincoln on a couple of billboards, but I couldn't get my phone out in time to snap a picture cause I was driving, but I did enjoy seeing Lincoln, um, pop up in, um, in, uh, the South. Um, have we talked about the TBH shirt? I think we have, but we can maybe just use that anyway. Um, the t-shirt that was, I found this one in Gettysburg. Um, it's just a teacher, uh, t-shirt with a picture of Lincoln and underneath it says TBH, which is text talk for, to be honest. I thought that was pretty clever. So we'll just go ahead and use that That's one for cool this one. one. Yeah. So t-shirt with Abraham Lincoln's face, it just says TBH underneath, I think is very clever. Uh, meaning of course, to be honest, which, uh, you know, honest Abe, like that little connection there. So and definitely relatable to a lot of folks. Um, So next week, uh, we'll definitely uh, do our best to bring another show to you. Uh, We're not 100% sure just because we got the Thanksgiving holiday in the States uh, coming up. And with Mary's Travels and all that kind of stuff, we'll definitely put a show together um, from her experience. uh, But we definitely will have something coming at you soon. Um, But if we don't get to you before the holiday, please have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you're celebrating in the United States with your family remember which president made that a holiday in 1863 i believe um which was of course abraham lincoln um and uh, we are thankful for all of you uh listening to the show so any parting thoughts mary or nick
1: happy thanksgiving to all of our listeners
2: i am not thankful for miller fillmore (laughs) all right so i was
1: wondering when he was gonna make it into the show nick i was getting a little bit worried because you hadn't mentioned (laughs) it'll it'll happen you didn't let me down though thank you when i got to the millard
0: fillmore Fillmore, there's like three sentences not even three sentences like millard fillmore is mentioned like once in that grant biography and like i couldn't get past it and i had to like read the sentence three times just to make sure like you know, knew it well. So anyway, um, thank you both uh, for contributing again to this show, and thanks to everyone for listening. And I will once again remind you all to continue to walk the world with mouths toward none and with charity for all. And we'll see you next week.